0: Eternal Dirtles is proud to be sponsored by Moxfield. Moxfield is the best Magic the Gathering deck-building website on the internet. You can create, share, and find decks from Commander to Legacy and even fan-supported formats like Pre Modern and Old School. You can see all of our decks on our Moxfield. Follow the links below to stay tuned. Hello and welcome to Eternal Turtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man?
1: Zach, it is going excellent. It is the earliest we have ever recorded, and it's for somebody's very, very special. We are here with Julian Knob. Welcome to the pod.
2: Hey, thank you for having me on, and thanks for getting up at like, probably like 5 in the morning for you guys.
0: I got up at 5.45 to make coffee. It is now six. It is 6.09. We're solidly into the workday. I, mm-hmm. I haven't woken up this early since, who? I
2: want to say high school? Wait, you guys are not celebrating like the trauma Day of Unity. Today is like bank holiday. That's all of oh, that's what
1: I was about to say, Zach, are you yeah. not doing that? I think it's also isn't
0: it? I guess it's next week is uh Indigenous Peoples Day, formerly known as as Columbus Day. Uh that's next that's next Monday.
2: <laughs> okay. Like uh like y- you know we always celebrate like w- what's it called, July 4th in the US. No, 4th of yes. July. That's the only day we are such around. Yeah, yeah. So I would very much expect that you guys like celebrate our unification day. Anyway, I, I decided to come here instead of ch- uh, celebrating Taiwan unification.
0: I wrote this up in my brain last night, all the legacy podcasts that have eternal in their name, right? <laughs> You've got Eternal Glory, <laughs> you've got mm-hmm. Everyday Eternal, and of course, Eternal Dirtles. And I, I think of you guys, so if, if Eternal Glory is the uh, Triforce of Power, you guys are the Triforce of Wisdom, and I realize that that centers us as like the hero, is Triforce of Courage, but that is Courage in this particular scenario is, is just dumb, barreling forward like <laughs> idiocy for the most part. Yeah. So
1: There's 0% chance in my mind that anybody who listens to us does not <laughs> listen to Everyday Eternal, but Julian is the host of Everyday Eternal alongside Kai, Kai Sautarex and Callum. We love Callum. I've yet to meet Kai, but I have gotten drunk in Belgium with Cal. So
2: <laughs> That's the best, best place to get drunk. Awesome. Perfect yeah. choice.
1: So Julian, today we're gonna to talk about your journey from noted elves player. I mean, you might be when somebody talks about elves, just like you're the guy. Yeah, like, I was
0: actually thinking like it's it's weird the paradigm shift from like you know like five years ago who people thought of for decks versus now because like i think phil is is definitively the guy who everyone thinks of for for uh miracles at this point and he used to be the oarsman five years ago people mm-hmm. would have said said that and i think five years ago everyone would have like when elves comes up in the conversation you're the first person that comes to mind
2: it still happens to this day uh people sent me messages they they want me to stream I mean, more i They they want me to come on a podcast and talk about F's and stuff like that that was me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny i was Gee. like a- Big thread on YouTube, the, uh, on YouTube, on Twitter the other day. The, the first person who comes to mind for certain decks, and there were a lot of decks listed, but nobody mentioned me for elves. And I was like, oh, this is this is the point where my legacy slowly fades away. And then, like, a couple of people mentioned me on the very same day, and you invited me to the podcast. And I was like, okay, got another <laughs> couple of years in the tank until, until you, like you... I fade into obscurity.
1: So that was Martin Hughes' post. I don't know why he was asking for like who people associate with certain deck archetypes. What came to mind was Julian and really good good gaming graphics on his stream that, that's <laughs> thank I, you very much that's, that's what i always because like your your stream i've anybody who hasn't seen julian's stream setup should definitely be watching his stream your transitions and everything i was like this guy gets it this guy this guy this guy <laughs> has all of the stuff i remember he has all the transitions and the stuff with his mic and i'm like i want to watch i could watch this guy forever even if he's only ever playing decks that i get crushed by i can never be a hedron crab julian I'm
2: very i can happy never to be fun. Fun. thank you
1: and that's so sick. <laughs> we really, it only sounds really right? up our
2: game now, Phil. I mean, you guys have been around for such a long time, right? You said like seven years or something. I mean, that, that's the biggest thing about podcasts, right? What everybody says. Like, you can do, be as good or as bad as you want, but like 90% of the work is consistency and staying out there. And and I don't know if people think about podcasts, I think you're one of the very first legacy podcasts that comes to mind. And oh, thank you. really, only a small part of that is quality. And I don't mean that like in any kind of <laughs> depreciating way. Like, I really mean it in, in the consistency way, right? Yeah. you just got to get in there. And I mean, far, far eternal, dude. I was almost about to say eternal glory. Like <laughs> we have too many, too many similar names for it, everyday eternal. We we sometimes like had episodes in the past where, I've, right, like, ah, oh, this wasn't as good, but at least you know we got it out and people got to listen to it. And then sometimes you get yeah. the bangers, and I mean that's just like how you made it. You know, over the past two years, we've been working on the video thing.
0: Obviously, we're doing video now. Uh, and then, and then, you know, I, I got to a point where I was like, it's not just enough to do like to just offer video. We got to be doing really great video, at least above par video, not just like I. Sl- it together and throw it on the internet kind of thing and I think that has that has upped our game uh in the in the realm of like what our content is actually offering to because it used to just be like hey Sunday night let's get together and talk about legacy me Phil and and Nate would would just like come up with a topic or whatever now like you know you said the other day I I reached out to you that that was a list of like 12 topics I have like at the beginning of every month I write down like everything I want to do for the month and I come up short every month like I never get everything done but like that was like okay, I'm going to like reach out to all these people about all these different topics and see who, see what we can get going. The consistency is key. And then once you get the consistency to a point where you're very comfortable, it just behooves you to start doing like better production and stuff exactly like that. Exactly, right?
2: Once you feel confident in all the, the things that you do and you don't have to think about them, it's it's the same for legacy decks or like, I guess, magic decks in general. But when I watch other people play decks that I'm very comfortable with and I, I talk to them afterwards and I ask them, why did you spend so much time on this? And they're like, oh, I was thinking about this, this and this. And like, when you've been the same situation like 500 times you you don't think about that you you can it, it's almost like in chess right that the, the more you know the more you can think about like the deeper stuff whereas if you if you're like oh does the pawn move one or two fields like i don't know <laughs> it's Like you know mm-hmm. you, you you lose so much time and 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 mental energy and i guess it's, it's the same for most things once you once you build consistency and familiarity with what you're doing you you can like go as deep as you want eventually
1: for elves it was always like turn one you always would get a men accelerant right like there was never a hand you could keep without something like that right
2: mm, see that's that's too black and white for me there's, there's certainly like if i did it like that that i would have to send back most of my hands ideally you want the mana accelerate for example but there's also like many scenarios where you just it's actually especially if you're on the draw you would very often play the worst creature yeah, if your opponent like went land go because then you put them in a position where they kind of want to re- use their removal and it works best when they have a two drop that they want to tap out for like let's say i don't know like back in the day counterbalance or, or stoneforge was the, the most common one so you'd sometimes run out the, one of the worst creatures in your hands on the first First turn, mm. so they'd be like, I really don't want to sort to plow this. Like nettles until in the first turn against a lot of decks, it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter all that much. But then they're like, But I don't I kinda have to because I really want to tap out on turn two. And and by putting that into that position, the best they can come up with is the best decision, which isn't great. And if they mess it up, then it's all the better for you. So so many, so many like tiny things. Also, if you're playing against pox, for example, your best first turn plays is Aquarian Ranger, because if they go small pox, you bounce back your land and like you, you come out ahead. Like there's there's many, many tiny little things, and I mean it, it just comes with like years of playing it where you you like develop almost automatisms about that and you just like it's super easy but yeah acceleration it, it, on the first turn is, is by far the best it's a night and day difference between having three mana or two mana on turn two with ifs
1: for, for every instance that you just said like every example that you just said of like what to play first i i know the kind of player i am that when you say yeah i'll just cast nettle sentinel on turn one nettle sentinel to me on turn one i assume i'm dead on turn two i assume, <laughs> I, I, assume I assume it's just elf plus heritage do it and then we're just off to the races on turn two and i'm like all right yeah, like this, this is gonna be
2: bad for me it's kind of funny, Heritage Truth is probably the Fs the f that gets cited out the most in, in like classic like um uh cl- classic apps as you would imagine it i mean we've had many different iterations over the years but yeah people people I, i've had it many times where i go like turn one heritage to it which almost literally is the worst play like it, it depends so much on the matchup like sometimes why would it's the worst play I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of times and people go like force a pitch show and tell I'm like oh we can do that again it, it, you like it, <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah you're like i got to do this more often yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs>
0: you're like great i've i've cast a weird green counter
2: spell this is amazing yeah whale of summer yeah we, we are already had that back in like 2009 or so. um, yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: so uh you know we we're talking elves but you have you have pivoted you've switched you've changed uh you've changed your deck archetype around a bit uh you want to tell us a little bit about that
2: yeah you like in our know, shout outs it sounds pretty harsh like a, a <laughs> rebrand of sorts and a drastic <laughs> rebrand <laughs> yeah,
0: wait, like, let me read it let me read it it's great until recently you were known as an elves pilot perhaps the most well-known in legacy in the legacy community what prompted the drastic rebrand
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess it, it sounds good as a headline but i i don't think it was like a rebrand and certainly not a conscious one if it was one and it also wasn't drastic at all it was like very much like a, I, I basically uh, a lot of people always knew me initially in my legacy career as the enchantress guy i played enchantress for like five years or something i, then I, knew,
1: I, I, I recall that yeah
2: yeah you also in the source right my title was that enchantress guy for a long time and then i went into elves from 2013 until like 2018-19 which certainly were my most successful years also the years where i tried the hardest and then around 2018 i sold the deck also like a couple of changes in my private life i moved i was like in a very committed relationship back then so a lot of things were like oh legacy is on the back burner at that point i was i sold the deck because i needed to pay back my student loans because germany had a time where we were like oh let's do it like in the u.s we we need to make people pay to go to university so oh, i came out terrible. of university yeah but like no only should pay... have to do that yeah we decided like after <laughs> i was done going Europe. to university we decided yeah actually let's not do that and, and we like aborted that but that was like Exactly the time I went to university. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, okay, let's say elves and then I can like start playing back the shit. And yeah, I can say shit on this podcast. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> shit, 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 No. And yeah, I didn't have it in paper anymore, which doesn't really matter because like, you, you know how legacy works, right? You can always borrow uh, a deck if you want to. But I wasn't that committed to tournament grinding. And then also, like, I think I, I don't want to say the ban of Death Chairman pushed me away from it because I played it like for a long time after still. But I, I wasn't that excited about a lot of stuff like Plague Engineer, like lots of time stuff that didn't kill the deck but also made it so that's like do I want to put in the time and the work to like still keep it at the top and I didn't mm. and yeah so it kind of faded away but I still played Legacy right uh, but much more and that, that, I think that was the biggest conscious decision it's not a rebrand of anything it was more like a okay I spent the last five to six years I want to say maybe I was the European guy who played the most mid and high level events in Europe if not around the world like literally the most I think there's not a single MKM I missed, uh, except for like one where there was like a similar... Anyway, I I was insanely dedicated grinding. I even went to like the the US twice and I went to to China twice to play tournaments there. And that was the conscious rebrand of sorts where i was like okay i've kind of proven myself to myself i think I, I i'm happy with what i did and now it's much more let's focus on the podcast back then we had bob wearing on the cast and bob was like hey let's let's be like much more serious about everyday channel and i like that and i still like that and i think a lot of things just changed where i wasn't that dedicated to like really grinding as hard anymore and i just like i've always played other decks on the side i have many decks that i like so it was like was funny to me that it was the elf sky but i guess i played it in big tournaments so i mean it, it makes sense but over the years since then, I played a lot, lot, lot of different decks. And last year, last summer, my co-host, Callum Smith, uh, he was already pretty deep into Painter. And I was like, okay, okay every podcast, Callum talks about how awesome Painter is. And f- just from the, the strategy, strategic setup of the deck, I liked it so much that I picked it up on Magic Online, played it for like half a year, did really well with it. And then last winter, I decided, okay, I don't really have like Paper Legacy decks anymore. Oh, like I'm, I'm boring out sex so much. He, oh, he's actually <laughs> off to buy painter I guess. Yeah, yeah. And he, he
1: heard he heard it, and he was like, "I need this deck. I exactly must have it re-
2: immediately. Exactly. I think that's how it works. And then last last winter, I bought painter in paper, and right now it's my only legacy deck. I I have in mm. paper, and I've been enjoying it for like over a year now, which. I guess it's a, a testament to how awesome the deck is, both to to win and to play. Like sometimes decks are great to play, but they don't win. Sometimes decks win, but they you, you don't really like them. Oh, there's a dog. Awesome. Hey, how's it going? How yeah, oh, do this is Brando. Brando. He was scratching hey.
0: the door because I have the door closed. <laughs> so he's like, why? Why can't I be involved in this conversation?
2: Awesome. Here we
1: were talking about painter. Awesome.
2: Um, so yeah, this is how I arrived at painter.
1: Is painter and and it's and the ilk of like creature combo decks. Would you classify elves as combo?
2: It depends it's it's I, I guess it's like aggro <laughs> it can do it all i, I think, That's it, I I think if, if you had to pick one of the three major traditional archetypes you would uh, list it under painter but the under Painter, yes, he's smart. Um, and under combo. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I've always liked these decks that have a combo aspect to them that the opponent must respect very, very much. But that also can like grind really well. So in a lot of games, you actually have inevitability. Just because you, mm-hmm. like in Painter, you you have all these, these goblin graveyard interactions that give you so much value. In Elves, you always had like Visionary drawing you so many cards. And it's important that you can turn that card advantage not only into something that goes along the combo path, but that also goes along a different path path for example in painter it's a little bit more of a controllish but also aggressive path In elves it's much more of an aggressive path because you you only have so many really like controllish elements to it sometimes like after, after side potting you head but the strategically the most important thing and i keep going back to something i think doyle brunson said about poker where like they i think he said like the key to limit po- to uh, to, uh, to no limit poker is putting a man to the decisions about all their chips yeah and i like that so much mm-hmm. because that's so much also what elves <laughs> did right elves a lot of times put the opponent in a position where they're like I really have to respect that combo and I sh- probably need to make a play i don't want to make because i need to respect the combo but then it turns out i don't have the combo it turns yeah. out i cited mm-hmm. out natural order and even glimpse is not in my hand and i just put you to a decision that gives me a lot of advantage but of course you can't know that because you don't, can't see my hand it might actually be the proper plus ev play for you to to respect the combo but if you knew my hand you would play completely different and then you like after sideboarding with elves i want to say like 50 percent of times over 50 percent of times you literally won by just like beat down and and draining them out with uh, that' chairman and that's i don't want to say only work but a massive part of that only worked because the opponent had to constantly respect the combo and here you see why painter is also basically the kind of deck i want to play because Painter does the same ever since we had Ursa Saga we massively reduced the combo aspect in most of these Painter decks these days we only have two grindstones for example sometimes they only play one post when they don't have white for prismatic ending, so they they can't really properly get rid of it forever so you also have a lot of games where you literally just go for the beatdown right you make the constructs you maybe sometimes hardcast a fury make copies of it or even just like go- get there with the stupid goblins like take one take two take three it's like, it happens that's the biggest thing for me I constantly want to put my opponents into spots where They feel uneasy about what's going on, not even necessarily because of what's physically happening in the game, but because they have to respect all the stuff that might happen on this or the next or the next two turns or something. So they have to constantly give my hand more credit than it actually has and that drastically Im- improves your your position in the game and that's what i love so much about painter.
0: this is uh, sort of the draw that i felt when i uh, when i played against the blue painter mirror uh where i was like "Ooh, this is enticing like you know as an eight cash player i was just like it's kind of neat to just be like oh you know what i'm threatening
2: a, a lethal play every turn like something anything can happen mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's also somewhat similar with um for example in fact in fact also like always you in this position position where, like, should I use the removal spell? Uh, I don't. And then they just use Pendlehaven and exalted and give you three, three, three. Sometimes they blow you out on the second turn. And that also constantly puts you, puts you in a position where you don't want to tap out, even though it might actually be right to tap out in that spot. And then turns out they only attack you for two. And you're like, ah, oh, I could have played my, I don't know, what have you on turn two that I wanted to play, and I didn't because I gave them too much credit. But now if I use the sorts of Plowshares, I might actually die. And I mean, people eventually realize that it's actually correct to use the, the removal spell on their own main phase and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think in Infect Painter, those are like typical decks that very much represent that, and I, I absolutely love that playstyle because it makes the opponent so uncomfortable. I'm sorry, I want to make you uncomfortable about the game, not not about like our personal interaction. Actually, a lot of people told me that that they feel like super menaced. I don't know that that I have like this this aura. At least when I tried, I, I guess I don't really have that anymore. Where I come to the table and everything like oozes. Oh, I'm gonna win. <laughs> and, I mean, it's true. Like when I come to a table, I assume I'm gonna win. Like I played against Shah, i in the finals of, of of Moxen back then. I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna win. Like. He was like double world champion or something i was like i don't even know the guy at the time that's <laughs> just like first i'm gonna win like that's at least one person has to win right so yeah. why this might as well be me and it's a coin flip, right? It it's, a f- it's a yes or no right if someone's gonna win it might as well be you yeah it literally it's so funny it's literally what I thought when I played the I mean that was my big breakout event right in 2013 the, the 700 player Bazaar of Moxon I remember mm. I was walking around because I had a couple of buys I was walking around and watching everybody play and I was like huh somebody's gonna win that like there's no way out unless I guess the hall crumbles and everybody dies and like yeah that's let's not plan for that like somebody has to win it like literally physically it's impossible for somebody not to win it. And I thought like, Okay, it might as well be me, right? Why not? And (laughs) I mean, that case, it actually worked out
1: the the door Brunson quote, it's just making me think uh, it's like a a zoomed out version of how I think about people when they play against days,
2: It's like
1: Mm -hmm. they may or may not have it, but you often have to respect it to your own detriment. And that like changes how you behave rather than it just being like, okay, I this turn got punted or whatever, I could just be dead. So I have to respect that. Has there ever been a deck where you haven't had access to that in game, like between you know elves and then you mentioned infect but have you ever seriously like committed yourself to playing a deck that didn't have aspect to that and would you if there was like if there wasn't would you even consider the deck
2: it's actually kind of hard because like if, apart from the decks we mentioned uh i think the only other deck that i really seriously committed my to like basically ever since i've played legacies like tempo decks so any kind of like mm-hmm. diver deck or even before we had diver that kind of like canadian that kind of stuff survival back then but even survival the, the kinds of survival decks i played they they were a lot more mid-rangey and then had some combo aspect like survival for yeah. example where you got like loyal retainers and, and then Iona but the rest of the deck was literally just like grog Swarmong, Tamogoyf, that kind of stuff so I guess the opponent back then I didn't really think about it like that but it's certainly an aspect yeah. where you also like threatened to just like drop Iona at some point and they, they kind of had to respect that but I think it goes back to something I once said about legacy that still kind of holds true to this day and, and it, it didn't really keep up with it whether it actually holds true but like one of my credos about legacy was you either want to do something unfair or something or at least that has an un- unfair aspect to it or you want to have some kind of mana acceleration or cheat on mana or anything like that. I guess cheat on mana and mana acceleration and and, and like um, unfair almost overlaps. But ideally the, do both ideally do both yeah <laughs> but then you you end up in like i don't know show and tell territory and i played that for, for a while but i've never been the biggest fan of that i played well, doing that
0: right like you're you're using soul mm-hmm. lands you're you know you, and you're obviously doing the grindstone
2: thing so i think that, that, that's that falls that's into true. it. but then again show and tell barely ever hard cast or something yeah <laughs> this is very true <laughs> yeah unless you play blue green and you have like two carpet of flowers and stuff like that, but yeah, I think that's that's the kind of magic I just enjoy the most where the opponent constantly feels like threatened and uncomfortable because you like i mentioned right if they get it right it we are equal but if they mess up then i'm i'm massively ahead Mm -hmm. and i didn't even do anything to do that i just like played out my normal game plan and then they're like oh tap out here i'm like okay ancient tomb rhinestone gg I, i mean that's also why we can't really get rid of simian spirit guide in the deck because right now most people play like something like three sometimes four when you have like a heavy splash of lotus petals but when i have three lotus petals i still play one or two simian spirit guides because simian spirit guides also make it easier for the opponent to mess up i mean you you guys know the classic scenario right you have painter you have grindstone but you only have like one or two mana and they're like okay mm-hmm. i'm safe i'm i'm like gonna tap out for something and you're like oh so guide, GG, catch up. I, I I, constantly want my opponents to never feel like they get a break yeah
1: yeah. it's essentially you want to maintain the tension as long as possible
2: yeah exactly it's like yeah. It, it, no it's, it's a good it's a very good way to put it because you can very much feel once that once the tension breaks and you're sitting on a board that's like just bad and you you literally you have nothing to you could even draw or threaten and that's where the garbage time starts a lot of times and the only way to get back from that is like to have like sticky threats or like Phyrexian Dragon Engine that hopefully doesn't get like sorts of plowshares so you can also like get it. You guys know that right and a lot of people listening to this know that you very much know if you're playing a tempo deck or one of these like aggro combo decks that I I like. Once the tension breaks you feel like it's so hard to ever get back into the game and that's also why sometimes people when they get out an early threat in a tempo deck they if, if they are like a low mulligan and they know their hand isn't probably gonna go very far and the opponent plays a deck that's light on removal they will force their removal on their like i don't know turn one diver because they know they can never build up the tension again that sometimes looks awkward but it also is a testament sometimes to, to people understanding how how the matchup and how it, it works on a strategic level not only on a tactical level
0: yeah if you only have one queen you have to protect it
2: <laughs> you know <laughs> i want to get the second one like if the diver <laughs> yeah, takes four yeah. times it flips into a tamo or something i don't oh, know yeah.
0: Before we get started, I want to give a quick thanks and appreciation out there to all the Dirtle Maniacs that support us on Patreon. Without these people, the podcast could not afford the production upgrades and time we devote to it. If you appreciate the content we create, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash eternaldirtles. Now onto the show.
1: That's the future. I don't know if uh, there's like a, a, a term for it, but I, I have felt that more uh, recently, the idea of when, when that tension breaks whether that's, like, on your end or on your opponent's end. I've noticed that, like, there are ways that it can break, not only just, like, okay, am I threatening to win or am I threatening to, like, maintain a position, but also, like, when something happens where you go, oh, I feel like I'm effectively locked out or I, I can't, there, there's nothing that I'm going to be able to, to do in a lot of positions. Like, I lost to Teferi Time ra- Raveler yesterday. My opponent plays Teferi. I force, they force back, and then the Teferi ticks down. And now I'm like, oh, I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't have anything to threaten it. Even if I do remove it, it just feels like there's no way to claw back into this. Where and then in that regard, where you're like, you know, you're playing a deck like Painter, and you're like, well, I also could just kill them.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's very much you know? one of the favorite Plan Bs of a lot of decks that can do it. And I would even go to, as far as to say, in Paint, that's almost the the. Plan A, I Plan B, I guess, is a portion plan in the US. We we use, we, in Germany, we say Plan B for like, if you have an alternate plan. I, anyway, <laughs> uh, and I think if you can do that, if you can like pivot between plans, that gives you so much more strategic diversity, that makes it so much harder to, to uh, figure it out for the opponent. Because I think in uh, um, Who's the Beatdown? I think Flores talks about misinterpretation of your role equals mm-hmm. loss and that's not only going into the match but that's also applicable during the match because it sometimes flips around right you go into a match you feel like oh i have inevitability but then you you go deeper into it and at some point you realize okay technically i had that at the beginning of match of the match but now my path to victory is beat down and i have to close out the game as soon as i can and a lot of people i think when when i talk to them and i mean we i've been like that in the beginning as well they they don't think about that they they're like Ooh, I play control deck. I must play control, and sometimes you know. There's, I think you you in the classic miracle days. Sometimes you you knew that you had to win. For example, against sometimes like, at least for me, it came up against Death and Taxes. Sometimes where like, or even Chunt, especially Postpart, where you feel like okay my best path to victory is literally just play a bunch of lands and then end of turn make and treat the angels and there's nothing they can do and that's how I win. whereas if I went longer and they have like I don't know like let's say slaughter games or whatever I mean that's that's a very brutal example but you, you get the idea right yeah. even sometimes you have to pivot and i think a lot of people especially in, in in legacy they they are just like married to the idea i am combo deck i am control deck or, You don't really have proper aggro decks anymore well i think a, a good to... example
0: of that is is you know the, back you know let's let's go with like 5 years ago in in control decks when you were playing snapcaster mage and you knew that you were playing against another control deck and you're like i'll just make this an ambush viper and then swing in the next turn <laughs> you know like there's there's plenty of times where like someone someone assessed the the whole situation was like i think just making this guy a beat a beater is like what i need to do
2: yeah it's also about planning ahead it happens happens a lot against the Time time for example where i feel like I, I want to present a board where even if they go to Ferry minus and then i untap i can still immediately kill to and at least mm-hmm. you know that way we are we are like even and th- that goes into planning ahead and sometimes you in, in uh, for example painter because we have the luxury of playing like between five and seven blasts sometimes to play eight. Like down to five or six. Anticipate the Teferi, especially if they didn't do anything on the first or the second turn. And you even like presented maybe a creature that they want to go for. So like you narrow down what they got in hand, right? And at some point you arrive, oh, they probably are gonna make Teferi, and that's a big part of their of their game plan. And then you you don't do your best second turn play. I mean that this goes into like very basic magic, I guess. Nobody can really learn all that much from that. (laughs) now that I mention it. You always want to think about what the opponent is doing and what what their ideas and how they want to use the cards like in, in your head you sometimes even just subconsciously you scratch off all the stuff they probably don't have because they they could have used it to to a big advantage on some of the previous turns so the only way they really have it is you miss something which is like it's great when it happens in magic online because then you can learn it sucks when it happens in a big tournament or or they do it for the turn which of course is very unlikely so yeah
1: I, I i would actually argue that the, the the notion that at least when people play in paper your opponent is making land drops that every every time they they do or do not do something with their mana it is representative of it is translating information in hand and i think that is I, I would argue that more people have a difficulty discerning that kind of information over the board than they do when playing online. Because when they play online, they can speak out loud or they can, (laughs) they can, they can say things to themselves. Like, okay, well, they didn't do this this turn. So they probably don't have beanstalk because why wouldn't they just slam it there? So they are probably sitting on at least some number of three drops or their hand is entirely reactive. So like I can at least narrow it down to like those two pathways what is my hand better set up against and then I can navigate it like that? As opposed to over the board, it's it's really weird if you just started saying that out loud. you know. So oh, I do that all may... the time,
2: though. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, dude, I talk like, a lot, I, lot, lot during the match.
1: I have had opponents that talk their thoughts out loud as though you're not there. They'll just be like, hmm, you didn't do that. So I guess that means that you don't have this and like, you don't want to then behave in a way that's giving information to them. If I, at, in the times where i played, played against an opponent like that, I sort of just sit there. I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: my, my story for that is I do talk a lot. And uh, it, this was shorter ago than it should have been. But someone said to me during a match that I was playing against, they said, Hey, can you be a little more circumspect? And I said, I don't know what that word means. And <laughs> I, I was being truthful, but I think they thought I was being a jerk, and and that, then I had to like Google what circumspect means. I was like, oh, okay. I feel like. What were you doing? I was just talking it out, you know. Like I always uh, talk it out. Like if if I have if I have a board presence and I think that they have something, I'll just be like, okay, well, you obviously have a force of war here. You probably have a sword. Oh no, you I know? think
2: that's. I mean, I. If I know you, that's different. Uh, Especially like I'm in France. But if I don't know the person, I I almost feel like that's a little bit pretentious. Like for me, it's more like I talk to my opponent all the time about how they feel about the game what they're doing. And I guess for me, it's just like my way to stay engaged in the game and everything and keep it together. But like the the, the inner monologue on the outside, I I guess I sometimes might do that. But yeah.
0: I mean I'm not telling them I'm literally just like saying it out loud to, I was like okay. okay, they've got a force of will because they would have done this otherwise. Uh, I guess I guess if I swing in here you know this is generally when I was playing in fact too because you really have to think about what, what's going on in your opponent's hand. I'm like I guess if I swing in here there's no way you're gonna use removal because you can't afford for me to do X, Y, Z. And, you know, like that unnerves people a little bit. And it's not like, you know, it's not my, it's a extra part of what I'm doing, but really I'm just trying to like make sense of the situation. And I do that best when I'm talking out loud.
2: For me, it's more like I literally ask my opponent whether they have a certain card, just because I I almost like treat this as as, as like a casual game. I think I do it a lot less. And like, once it gets more important, like win it in and top eight, but for most of the time, it's just like, blah, 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 blah and it always reminds me of a poker tournament i once played and i I was put like to a pretty tough decision whether to call or not and at some point i literally just like looked up at the guy and asked him hey what do you have and he like flashes his hand and he was like oh sometimes
0: sometimes you get people that way so we we just came back from vegas and i did i did a little uh i did a little no limit like one two on the last day and uh and one of the guys next to me that that like I knew was like, "Hey, um, are you allowed to like talk through this? Can you like tell people what's in your hand?" I'm like, "Yeah, but they don't have to believe you. Like, it's just like magic. You can tell people you have a force of will. They don't have to believe that you
1: have one." <laughs> I, I, you, you guys are flashing me back. There was a a time in magic where the only thing writers on sites uh, were were talking about, the only thing players wanted to do at the table was they wanted to cast a vendilion click, not say anything. Your oh, opponent just uh, puts their hand on the table. Uh, you would write it down and then you would say, okay, I'm going to target mm, myself like a real scumbag. And that, I remember, I remember was that. The talk of the, that was the talk of the town. It was like, <laughs> guys, don't put your hand down. You have to ask mm. them for the target, guys. Don't be an idiot. I, I got got by that a couple of times where somebody would play Vendilla and click. Obviously, it's in a position where they would target me. So like, I just put my hand down, they wrote it down, and then would look me in the eye and say, I'll actually target me. And then I would look them back in the eye and say, <laughs> okay. Do you feel better about
0: yourself? Yeah. Do Do you guys know d- put d- d- one out to Vidillion click, right?
2: <laughs> oh, one of my favorite cards ever. By the way, you guys know, know. the same thing about demigod of revenge. You, you, yes. you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean the listeners but... might not know about it. It's like a I think it's a five mana five four haste flying, something like that. Yeah. And when you cast it, you return all other demigods of revenge from your graveyard to play. So a common thing back then was you cast it, then the opponent, I don't know, counterspells it. I don't know what it was the it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're like, okay, trigger resolves. It comes back into play. So if you, if you countered it, you, you consciously had to like, tell them you only do it after like, the trigger resolve, which at that point would have done nothing. But yeah, it's...
1: For, <laughs> for people to visualize, when you, when you cast the card, it puts a trigger on There's the cast trigger, that returns yeah. all copies. And then if you counter the spell before this trigger resolves, it'll bring itself and all of the other copies back. So you have to wait for that trigger to resolve. So all, so you are countering it when all of the other demigods are already back in play. I think is what the board state actually looks I like. I think
0: the biggest scumbag move I ever had happen to me was uh, at an SCG event in like Long Island. I was playing rug Delver, and this is when I didn't even have all of the fetch lands for the deck. So I, I ran out like an Arid Mesa as my I like. Just,
1: I, I want to quickly interrupt. Just to, you know, Julian, it, this is strange because nothing scumbaggy ever happens on Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> Long Island is no, Long Island is notoriously Pretty. the scumbaggiest place in the world. That's so. Long Island, so I'm, so I'm, like I'm where,
2: where all like the rich people go.
1: No, that's that's yeah, diff- yeah. that's, that's Long Beach that's,
0: that's, Island. That's that's a that's a different place. This is definitely not thought, the place at the, the, the very, rich very end go. of Long
2: Island is like where all these these what's yeah, called Hamptons or something. Oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: There's, there, there's rich country
0: out there. Yeah, yeah. Mostly it's just garbage. <laughs> Anyhow, my opponent You're uh, losing all our Long Island listeners. No. Uh, my opponent played uh you know he was playing reanimator and he put a grizzle brand in his yard and i snap surgical extraction right i go through his deck i get i get the grizzle brands out and he goes are we good and i'm like yeah let's go and then he goes okay i'm gonna exhume i was like yeah why is your grizzle brand still in your graveyard and he's like
2: oh, oh you, you messed up take dude. it out
0: <laughs> you didn't take it out of my graveyard and i'm like are you kidding me dude I, like i'm not trying to touch your cards like what so we called a judge over the judge sided with him i still dazed it and stopped it from happening but i was just like what a scumbag oh like,
2: but I'm, a, I'm on i'm on that guy's side though especially oh. when it comes to searching for that i, I actually leave the card in, in the graveyard quite a lot of times even like consciously
0: but you know I, I don't play i don't play magic online enough to like know that you have to touch the the <laughs> card you know like i was just oh, like, you
2: don't need to touch it you can even just like say it right yeah Yeah, take it the 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 the, the first time i felt i was like scammed but it was perfectly fine and i I might have even used it on other people at some point was when i when i was a beginner and i wanted to do something at my opponent's end step and they had eight cards in hand and the guy literally says discard question mark I was like, yeah, uh-huh. sure. And then you discard something. And I was like, okay. And the end of turn is like, uh uh-uh. uh. No, end of turn. like, what? No, nothing. You can't do anything after the discard. Unless it triggers an ability or something. But yeah, that's yeah. sweet. And I was like, whoa. I got gut, but yeah, he was right. And I mean, he very much consciously asked that question that yeah. way because he knew I had like all the mana up and I wanted to do something. But it was fine. It was like a, a learning moment for me and I never fell for that again. But I, I took my best <laughs> friend to, to a Legacy tournament um, a couple of years ago. He we, we started together back in school, but then he, he quit after a couple of years uh, like I did. And then I came back, but he never came back. But I, I got him to play a Legacy tournament at least once or even like a Magic tournament. And we gave him Sue at the time, which was like one of the easiest decks to play for a beginner. And he played against Ad Nauseam Tendrils and he had no idea what was going on. But the thing is, the opponent was at three life after the Ad Nauseam. And he literally, he had Lightning Bolt in hand. And the Ad Nauseam guy, just to build Storm, plays Duress. And he just like lays his hand down and the other guy is like, Okay, pick the lightning bolt. And I asked him like why didn't you play the lightning bolt? He was like, The other guy should have told me you should have told me that I need to lightning bolt I'm like this is not how it works. No <laughs> And to this day he tells me he got cheated out of the game. I was oh, like, okay, no. I guess
0: No, you have the lightning bolt people. You don't show your hands for duress if you have a lightning bolt in your hand. It's like
2: in football. Okay, we're gonna attack through the left flank, so maybe you wanna defend on that side. I'm like oh okay, yeah. thank you for letting me know. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> Here's our play uh for this round, yeah. I um, thought momentarily that it was going to be a story of him not knowing when he would have priority to cast the bolt.
2: But and he so didn't even know what like, priority was in the first place. No. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so- Actually, I wonder how many people know what priority is the word in the first place in, let's say, Legacy. I think only like 60%. 17? Well, I
0: mean, so many of us don't even know what
1: the stack is. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 Julian, that's that, that's an ongoing meme because Mark Rosewater has gone on record saying that the majority of Magic players don't know what the stack is.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. I read that an article and like what a plain is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. once had a friend of mine who was like a very, very serious and competitive legacy player. The guy was like one of the most serious and competitive legacy players I ever knew. And he played a, I don't know what it was, like a big brain deck at least he would think that, I guess and he played brainstorm and he played against a, a burn player who was like insanely casual like didn't know any rules only knew i want to deal 3 damage to you at every single every possible moment so the burn player at some point where he didn't have priority i think it was the, the 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 other guy's main face he was just like bolt you to kill him, and the other guy was like, You do not have priority, I don't have what. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and th- then the other guy goes, like Brainstorm. And while he's resolving the brainstorm, like he draws three cards, he looks at the hand, and then the burn player's like, What you know? It's like, No, you stick to that. I
1: was like, <laughs> yeah, I want to point you, I want to you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the bolt is when he has all uh, the
2: cards
0: in his hand. <laughs>
1: i like that though the, the, you, you, next time my opponent tries to kill me i'll be like not yet i'll tell you when you can kill me <laughs> i i'm still gonna do stuff before you kill me
2: it, it, it was the same guy uh, like in german if you if you ask do you pass priority it can very much sound like do you trade like you know like a card like you would trade away a card mm-hmm. that uh suddenly you playing for anti yeah mm-hmm. almost <laughs> like it, it, it basically when you in german if you ask do you do you pass priority it can sound like a st- priority up for trade so uh, that guy was like oh no this is not my deck none <laughs> like, these, these, yeah, of these are yeah. for trade he was like no this, <laughs> it's <what> <laughs> oh no yeah so but, but that's good that's good like the guy had a good time the other guy not so much but i mean some, so that, that's the beauty of magic right that we, we talk about that for we, we've been talking about it for decades at times so that like variance is a big part of why the game is successful and it wouldn't be as successful if it was like too much more like chess. I think there was a discussion mm-hmm. on Twitter the other day, but we haven't even talked about painter. I guess <laughs> yeah,
1: let's talk about. that. we get, should talk about. Let's paint. get into. I mean, I, I wanted to had before when I was saying that like oh yeah, there's like the the I the auto win button or like the the means to be able to combo off to end the game on the spot and like the threat of that is really powerful. You know, any of the time that I've explored painter, or I've listened to. Uh, you Kai, and Callum talk about Painter on uh, Everyday Eternal. That for the most part, that Painter threatens the combo, but does not necessarily. The majority of its games are not won by comboing. Is that yeah. does that still hold true even in the in the current metagame?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. Especially it's especially against combo as well. Against a lot of combo decks, you you have such a strong sideboard that you rarely ever kill them that way. But also in, in most other matchups. The combo comes up quite a bit. I want to say like maybe even 50% or something, maybe less, uh, if I had to guess like less, just because Urza Saga is just so good. That, that card was mm-hmm. so transformational for the deck. And a lot of people struggled to adopt it, at least from what I saw, because they were like, oh, there, there's like so much this synergy and we want to play like, I don't know, Four Blood Moons main and and Magos of the Moon and main and everything. And of course that's horrible, but the card is just like so good and gives you so much more potential. And I mean, yeah, it's nice that you can grab Grindstone. A lot of times you actually grab Mox Opal which is a testament to the 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 mid-range aspect of the deck like i want to say 80 percent of times you literally grab grab mox opal just because you want to like further your your uh position on the board and everything that's why i'd say combo comes up like 40 percent of times it's really hard to put numbers on it because you'd have to average out all the the different um, matchups and that's that's just like
1: but that for the most part that when approaching like if somebody were approaching how to combat painter I feel like a lot of a lot of the focus is put onto well their deck is called painter. They are painter <laughs> grindstone. I must stop the painter grindstone when that's not actually like I, I imagine that there's still a lot of edge gains when people are boarding for trying to like not get comboed and then they just get beat, you know, like you just like or make it's like, yeah, I have these thick constructs or I go on the dragon engine grind plan. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of different aspects where the people approach how to combat the deck as primarily combo when it's really it's it's become more backdoor combo is that is is that true <laughs> Backdoor
2: combo, yeah it's it's a little bit more than backdoor combo i would say but you you're very much right especially if you play against people who are not as familiar with it it's one of the, those situations where you go turn one grindstone right like i gave you the example earlier with turn one heritage steward and people are like mm-hmm. farceful and you're like this is the best yeah. thing that could have ever happened to me and that's i'm trying to get this to focus properly anyway and that's that's the beauty of it. I, I guess you should have renamed miracles like Snapcaster Aggro, so people would be like, such a Snapcaster, here we go." <laughs> yeah, uh, I, got, I, 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 got,
1: I got to start doing that ad campaign because I I, 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 I I need people to 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 fear something out of my out of my list. Otherwise, they're just like, "Oh, it's Phil." I have mm-hmm. I know I have all forty eight minutes to do yeah. whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, and,
0: now you're calling it forty k miracles, and people think that it's because your entire deck is altered, not because you're playing. what uh, is uh, what is it say? Tri- Saint Catherine,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was that was something that we I, I struggled with when the deck was just being called forty K miracles, and everybody thought that that's just how much the deck cost, not that it was indicative of Triumph of Saint Catherine. Actually, and was that was like, my
2: first thought as well. I guess if you yeah, see it spread right, out, yeah. then you think of Warhammer. But yeah, but by the way, that was a mistake. Yeah. Quickly going back to what you mentioned, I think that's the, the reason that meltdown. Is one of the best anti strategy, anti tactics against the deck is. It fights the combo plan and it fights the beatdown plan. Meltdown is so devastating. Uh, it also takes away like all the tempo that you spend on creating those constructs. But yeah. sometimes when you even see it coming, you only make one construct. You basically want to invest the minimum possible to force them into a meltdown while still like being able to do something else. Like ideally gets um your your Fable of the Mirror Breaker down. So you have to like, you know, allo- allocate resources to the stuff that doesn't die to meltdown while still like putting them into a spot where they wanna go for it and ideally you eventually arrive at a spot where you get painter down and then you have like i don't know two blasts up or something it's it, it you gotta be very conscious and that's for example why it's also so backbreaking sometimes when these blue black decks sometimes splash like a single i don't know volcanic island to have like two meltdowns in the sidebar and you're like okay i never saw that one coming that's
0: i, I was happen. actually going to ask about that uh so your your sideboard plan for meltdown is is just mitigation
2: yeah that's like that card is too good and too too strong it's there's not really much you can do about that. There was one, there's a single card that I thought about, but never included, never even tried out, but that just like popped up in my head because I saw it in other decks and that was Welding Char.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I thought about just, like, it too.
2: Yeah. It's just like such a horrible card on its own, right? You, it doesn't even like beat something like, I don't know, Prismatic Ending, sorts of plow chairs So yeah. it's but I've, technically, I've, yeah.
0: I've moved on to like, you know, obviously I'm playing the blue version. So Hydro Blast Abound um but uh i think i've moved towards uh metallic review cuz like as an answer mm-hmm. Because, like, they're going to, you know, they're going to spend, you know, X to get rid of, you know, whatever is on my board. But generally, three mana is a l- little bit more than what they're going to have afterwards.
2: A lot of times, yeah, especially these decks that play it. I mean, the only melt- decks that might play Meltdown that could pay for it, are, I don't know, some kind of, like, four-color midrange thingies. But all these Delva decks that play it, they can't really pay three.
0: I feel like if, they, if feel we've like... gotten to that point of the game, they probably already have it,
1: too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I also feel like all the midrange, like, the any of the bigger decks that are playing green, for some reason, I see they lean more towards uh, Seeds of Innocence than they do Meltdown. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why, but I mean, they are green heavier than they are red. But I've, I've noticed that I, I see more Seeds of Innocence out of the board outside of like the euro style decks than I do on uh, Meltdowns, whereas Meltdown is just like in every Delver deck. I feel like you know? <laughs>
0: Seeds of Innocence is, an, I, I own this card flex. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, it might I, be.
1: I, maybe it's, it's, you know, kicked a little bit, but I think it was also a hedge towards uh, being able to deal with Kappa as well. Which it is does, where it's like it, mm-hmm. just, it was, like it was just a trade off to respect Kappa, and I mean I, I haven't seen a Kappa in months. I feel like that's, yeah, even that's Uro just, like, like
2: Uro doesn't really feel like it's that big part of a meta game anymore. Like everybody like all about like Foth Erlingas, which mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. a card I actually kind of want to try and paint, and I still haven't because at least on Magic Online, basically I don't want to flex too much. But every like it's not even a flex. Like almost every league I play is a far one, which is it's not even a flex, right? You you barely get five but I. I felt like in paper, especially when we played in Italy at the Four Seasons, Italy loves their like four color range, whatever. Like it's it's a heritage of their, of their miracles um, tradition there. And you play against these decks and it's so hard sometimes. And sometimes I feel like Fourth Erlingas would be amazing, but I've, I've never really done it. Like I can't really imagine it in the main deck. It's too clunky for that. But it also doesn't really feel like a great sidebar card. And that's in the end why I never really did it. But I, I, I kind of want to try it at some point you, you know you got uh, you got a reasonable amount of fast mana that you can put into it maybe someday and i yeah, mean the petals and with, the opals yeah
1: with all of the, tombs. the yeah with all the gabas and the ancient tombs i mean the the trick is just to dump the that mana rock that gives you the initiative
2: <laughs> isn't, isn't, isn't that like four mana or something <laughs> mana rock
1: yeah but there, now there's also isn't there an equipment or something that does it as well mm. oh but that, the equipment's also four mana i think i was trying to think if there was anything with the, the uh, with engineer <laughs> that you could bring back i know there's the there's there's the new monarchy equipment you become the monarch when you Mm -hmm. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's like like Crown of Gondor or something. Crown of Gondor, let's go with that. I should be
2: working with this, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's it's literally, it's like from the most recent Commander Lord of the Rings set and it's it's just the equipment that gives you the it's like the monarchy equipment. Mm -hmm. But it costs three, and I was like Oh, this is funny because when when the card was first spoiled, I was like, the, obviously, when you see an equipment, the first thing that comes to mind is Stoneforge Mystic. But I'm like, no, no, no. If if this ever sees play, it's probably with Goblin Engineer.
2: It doesn't excite me because it's 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 so and so, right? It's mm-hmm. you get it. Then Darrow texts you back, and you're like, okay, what did I do to myself?
1: I, you know, Painter is is like the even though there's a lot of uh, flexibility with how to to build Painter, the deck is so it, like it's so consistent and so good. That I feel like a trap is the the amount of flexibility that you theoretically could use. Yeah, Because you know? yeah, yeah. like a, a, lot, a lot, a lot, of the things that you could add or that you would swap in are actually like deteriorating what, the, like the strength of the deck because it's so it has the capacity to be flexible. Mm. When there's like obviously like this is these are like the, the the best ways to go and it's like the most fluid fluid. Yeah, yeah. So to
2: Phyrexia nine mana artifact. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Like
1: that's that's a like, excellent example of just like. Yeah, you know, obviously it's going to have its spots, but there's going to be a lot of those things where you just have a 9-drop and yeah, you know, it feels bad.
2: Calum has done it, and even I have used it a little bit. Um, and by the way, for those who don't know, it's a 9-mana. It's it's not like it's required knowledge for Legacy. I guess it's a 9-mana artifact. When it comes into play, your opponent, or even opponents, I don't know, sacrifice three creatures. And I think on every upkeep or something, on every one of your upkeeps, you get to put any creature from any graveyard into play under your control. We basically used it online as a replacement for Chaos Defiler as your like high-end welder able but not uh, goblin engineerable high-end. But it's it's just like it's no good. It's it's nine mana, you barely ever cast it, whereas five mana the deck is reasonably capable of. So yeah.
1: It's a, it's an ETB Plaguewind that obviously if your goblin engine is online, because your yeah, it's when it ETBs, your opponent to sacrifices two features, and then you're red right, at the beginning of your upkeep. Uh, put target creature card from a graveyard mm. onto the battlefield under your control. It's a Phyrexian addition, addition to its other type. So you can actually pull stuff from their graveyard. But yeah, it's, it, you know, Dragon Engine seems to be the better way. Or Dragon Engine's so you, know, good. you can sh- put, put together the combo and kill them,
2: right? It, it's so funny when you get Dragon Engine down in paper, sometimes your opponent. Would pick it up and read the back, and you're like, "Oh, it does a backside." I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I, I literally can't that. tell you what the backside yeah. <laughs> does. It's it's part of a planeswalker or something. Yeah, we're we not doing probably. that.
0: That's not the plan.
2: Yeah.
0: Although yeah. it oh, would yeah, be yeah. really funny to to like get somebody with that. You're just like, "Okay, yeah, I'm gonna throw the three mana uh, Mishra in <laughs> here."
1: Yeah, it's a four mana Mishra, and it's black. Minutes. And if it, it, I have seen it flip, I, it is it is. <laughs> It has happened. Well, cause the, the 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 way that you flip it is you just attack together. So it's not like the Urza that's manigated, yeah, you know. Yeah. You just you just like
2: but the most common way to... that the Dragon Engine actually gets somebody, and by now it has happened like dozens of times to me on Magic Online at least, they the reanimator player will have no cards in hand, but they will reanimate your Dragon Engine and they expect to be able to discard the hand and draw three cards. And Dragon Engine has this very unique text that says it only triggers when it comes into play from your graveyard as opposed to a graveyard so it comes from my graveyard to the opponent's side of the board so it didn't come into play from their graveyard so they don't get the trigger and you can literally tell on magic online like they get it and then there's like a thirty second break, and they're yeah, like, "What just like, happened?"
1: Trying to like, <laughs> oh,
0: they're like I'm is, putting a report in right
1: now. Yeah. So <laughs> is is that is that actually the most enjoyable part of Painter? Is that that exact interaction where in those thirty seconds where you know that they're coming to that realization? Yeah, you just get yeah. To be like, mm, this
2: is delicious. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. I, I think the most the most enjoyable part is just when you kill them out of nowhere because you had so much fast and I didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. It's it's just so good. It, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's perfect
0: um one of the things I think that that's interesting well i, I would not say it's interesting about painter but uh puts it in a really great position is that it's pretty good against bowmasters like you're not really worried about a bowmaster
2: coming down you put that in the show notes and I was like huh? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of bowmaster like it's so good that people at least still keep it in the deck postpart but you're right okay. it's not as susceptible to, to bowmaster as like your I don't know brainstorm ponder, hand trap like that half of the format, right? There's a reason it's, I think, the most played creature in legacy right now. Painter doesn't suffer from it nearly as much as those decks do. So yeah. I, I, I guess that, 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 there's a good point to that. The, the problem with Bowmaster, though, is it still kills Welder, which is one of your best creatures. So yeah. there's quite a lot. There are quite a lot of matchups where you actually use side out all your welders, which hurts quite a lot because turn one welder, mm. turn two engineer is still great, but it also, it caps the, uh, the dragon engine and the, uh, uh, fable of the mirror breaker and that's quite annoying especially for the dragon okay. engine because uh, against a lot of like mid-rangey decks you you try to go a little bit over the top and dragon engines are a big part of that and that's that, that's a problem i've been in that position many times where i have to make the decision to do i basically want to lose like half my board? And, and give them like a 4-4, four, four just so I can get like a, a redraw for three cards. And a lot of times it's really on the edge, but slightly not worth it. But you still gotta do it because otherwise you're even further behind. Almost is annoying, but it's not backbreaking in, yeah. in a lot of games.
0: But it is, it, so it, it is, is, uh, mid against you because yeah you do have those draw effects i didn't even think about uh dragon engine yeah. as being like a draw effect that you would slam in against it but yeah that makes sense
2: yeah it's it, it's it's quite annoying i would even say it's it's not completely backbreaking but it's it's quite annoying yeah
1: teach me and everybody who would listen what is the actual appropriate way to try and handle a fable of the mirror breaker is it just hit the token and then figure it out or yeah a lot is, of times it,
2: if you get the the turn one fable that's great because you would feel like oh if i get the turn one fable that means i used the fast mana for it so it's like card disadvantage but the very same fast mana you get back on the very next turn right you use a lotus petal to get it out with ancient tomb I mean, if you use two two petals on a basic land, that's that sucks. But if you use an Ancient Tomb with a Lotus Petal, you fall behind on a card technically, but then you get it immediately back unless they kill the token. In which case, it's still kind of okay because you, you still got the two for one once you get the, the kicky-chicky, whatever it's called, I don't even know. From there, you very often figure it out. One, one of the biggest or one of the most common decisions in Painter is the sequencing on uh, basically three things. Do you want to go turn one saga, which enables the turn three kill if you have a paint on the second turn, because then you find grindstone you go there, which is like pretty all in. You can do that when you feel like it's very much a race, especially in the first game against combo decks and stuff, That then that's the most common thing to do. Or do you go turn one uh, saga and try to make tokens with uh, Ench Tomb, which is a little bit more middle of the road, or do you go turn one fable? Which doesn't really commit you to either line, but gives you a lot more flexibility. And that's a lot more common in the matchups where you feel like your mana might be attacked, where like your wasteland might wreck you. So you get, get a little... not only do you get that uh, lotus petal or treasure that comes off the token, but you also get the additional filtering. So you can throw away all your expensive stuff. Mm-hmm. So if, if people do something wrong, I think that's one of the more common things for people to get wrong. And I get that wrong as well uh, at times and sometimes i do and i don't even know that's that's even worse <laughs> but yeah fable fable a lot of times like it's, it's kind of funny when i talk to callum and we share our hands on the everyday eternal discard and i'm like what would i do here and uh, i think callum is the guy who like 90 percent of times will tell you i would just play fable on the first turn and i think a lot of times it's really correct and yeah fable is, is amazing so yeah from what you mentioned it depends on the matchup you oh, you tuned in to learn that, I guess. <laughs> the answer is it depends. That's that's the most common uh, answer we, we, we do in law and stuff. But yeah, you most of the time figure it out. It's very rare that you play a fable because you know you wanna put something in the graveyard and then next time you're gonna get it back with your goblin welder or something. That happens. But a lot of times, literally the answer is you you get fable out and then you figure it out from there. Because you also, like, over the next turn cycle, you also gain more information of what the opponent is up to. Whether you're looking for lands, whether you're looking for combo or just, like, more mid-range soup stuff. So yeah. mm-hmm.
1: It is, with all of the, you said that you were on how many blasts now? Four blasts? Five blasts? Uh,
2: right now it's five. Like, there's a steady decrease. As black gets better in legacy, we kind of decrease...
1: There are a number of blue decks where the threats have shifted away from blue into non-blue things. The When you go into a matchup, are, are the blasts, are you thinking, you know, for the most part, these blasts are meant to protect the combo? Or are you thinking that they are intended to stop my opponent? Or if you were opening your hand in the blind and you saw two blasts, is that something that you would keep? Or is that something that you'd be like, this is, I, I, I can't. Without information, I can't keep a hand like this.
2: Uh, The Blasts are the cards that really, especially the opening hand, I care the least about. I I guess Mm. once you get to, like, three Blasts, it gets a little bit awkward, but I would usually not keep or hand based on like having one or two blasts because they are they're so flexible i guess we keep going back to fable also like a lot of hands that you keep where you're fable right. and you can also get rid of the blasts if you don't need them but i, I want to say like number one thing blasts actually do it's really there to protect the combo you can do that but a lot of times you've used them before uh you want to be able to kill merktide. murktite is a lot mm. less present in the format than it used to be it's still one of the biggest threats in the format and that's the one thing we can barely interact with outside of blasts. Uh, I, I guess if you have like Breyer's apprentice and you make the top the token and you block. Uh, but it helps. It's a big help that recently Callum has like pushed this on me and I, I wasn't really on board until I actually tried it after the last four seasons, which is splashing white for four supply to plowshares. And I've been mm-hmm. so happy about the four sorts of plowshares for now. I don't really want to go back, and I might even pick up Plateaus, which is something is that, i couldn't imagine. Is that even imagine.
1: main board swords or is that post board swords?
2: No, no, four four main deck sorts of plowshares and one copy of either swan cannonist. By the way, it's kind mm-hmm. of funny. That either swan Canonist. I didn't expect it to be as good as it ended up being because I'm not really a big fan of having like these, these silver bullet head bears in the main deck. I mean, we can tutor for it, but a lot of times I figured it's, it's not going to be worth it. But hear, hear me out. And that's. As my camera keeps getting out of focus, not a good day for today. Anyway, so here's the thing I did not expect that's actually really cool about Canonist. If you play against these, let's say, ring decks, especially, I guess these decks, uh, these days it's also like Beanstalk, I would guess. But especially when I played against the ring decks, they draw so many cards. But if you have a Canonist out, you will still lose in the long run. But you are actually able to sometimes grind out a spot that's a a window of, I want to say, one, two, maybe sometimes three turns where you can actually either kill them by combo or by beatdown. And while they get so much card draw, it really only ends up being card filtering because they only can play a single card on your turn and on their turn. Even if you have very limited resources, you can fight back, right, during that window because you only ever need to match them. You, you, They can't give... They can't go into the quantity of their cards. They can only dig into the quality of their cards, and that's yeah. kept, right? That's only... Like in Legacy, we have so many good cards. That and cannabis, it's asymmetrical
0: I, for you, too. You know, you're playing an artifact deck.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that That's where it comes into, like, the combo aspect of it, right? You Let's say you get Painter down, and they want to fight over it, and then you have Pyroblast, and then they're out of stuff. So it's kind of cool. So Canonist ended up being better than I expected it.
1: And so is is your build right now are you on are you on a closer to like shortcake type of build
2: yeah i I don't really want to call it shortcake because short but you're right it's closer to that but the the thing about shortcake is that it uses enlightened tutor and i'm staying very far away from that card ever since i lost a table tennis um match over it when i was a child and i didn't get it and that's why i guess we have like a troubled relationship but yeah the 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 build is pretty much very similar to what you knew as like mono red painter or like i guess splash black painter for um chaos defiler but it just like it cuts some more blasts and some kind of utility. For example, in the in the mono red version or black red version, I I had some ensnaring bridges because they work pretty well against blue black scam. But in the grand scheme of things, the the salt has just worked up so much better, and I'm a really mm-hmm. big fan of them.
1: As I say, the the ensnaring bridge is also the way that I've seen people try and interact with Murktide. But again, like th- that's one of those we were talking about tension before. It's like if the threat that you care about is still on the table, then the tension remains. Because then it's like, mm. all right, now we have to fight over the brazen borrower on this thing. And, like, that becomes what the game actually cares about. But between Chaos Defiler and now the adaptation of uh, adding source to postures and and are, are we getting that much closer to painter being the first ever competitive mardu deck
2: like- <laughs> shout, outs <to> Nate. <laughs> T- shout outs to team <laughs> <laughs> italia or <laughs> something yeah it, it, it's kind of funny because we still have um chaos defy on magic Online in a way that all, all, almost gives me like the peace of mind that i don't have to think about how to build a deck because just the other day somebody tweeted at me was it actually one of you guys i'm trying to remember Somebody tweeted at me, no, it was somebody else, and asked how to build the deck in paper with white and Chaos Defiler. So you're kind of like tricolor. And I was like, dude, you you literally tweeted at me as I'm holding my paper deck in my hands <laughs> and I'm trying to figure this out and I'm just like putting it away and just keep going back to grinding magic online because it, it's not that hard. Like the hardest part for me is actually what do I cut from my online list for the Chaos Defiler because it really... Either has to be the third Fury, which I don't want to cut because I don't have a sideboard slot to to put it in, and I don't want to go to like two Furies over the 75, so it can't really be Fury. And the other option is Breyer's Apprentice, which I very often kind of miss when I cut it, but it's it's the most logical cut because it's also in that like mid-range utility slot and everything else I don't really want to cut. So I figured out once the next big paper tournament rolls around, which I guess in my case, it's end of October and and then eternal weekend of course and, and november i will get to it once i have to but right now there's just like so many like i started a new job there's so many other things going on in my life right now that i enjoyed basically just grinding magic online while i edit everyday eternal and and yeah that's that's where i am right now
1: so if you were to go into the next big legacy event and you are playing you and you were sleeving up painter how many blasts would you play and what is the configuration of flex that you would uh, advocate
2: for so you in paper right yeah okay i would play five blasts as i do right now i would play three furies i would probably cut the breyer's apprentice for chaos defiler that's there's really nothing else i feel i can touch that's see, we've in order to make room for the four sorts of plowshares we've decreased the number of like you know utility flex slots so hard I I guess you could cut the fourth sorts of Plowshares. I wouldn't hate that but yeah those are those are the cards I'd be looking at the Reyes apprentice or the fourth sorts of Plowshares. or if you want to go really hard you could like cut a fury but then at least add it to the sideboard but the sideboard is like so good right now I'm such a big fan of it that I don't really want to touch it
1: I was going to ask: Is the is the Urza Saga package in in red paint or in this case red white painter? Is the only uh, targets for it like the mockables? Is like Shadow Spear in the main? Is that like something that we still care about?
2: No no. And it's also a big problem against, for example, bl- um uh, let's say either Blue Painter or Eight Cast, because they also have ultra Saga. And their ultra saga is just so much better. Not only because on average they get the bigger constructs, you and can deal bubbles, with that. Yeah. But the the much bigger problem is the Shadow Spear because the trample makes it so that you can't pull all of your, you know, like Welder nanigans where you like block and then you weld your paint out, get something else. You still take way too much damage. And for for like a couple of months I'm at the point where I sometimes I feel like I actually we have to bring in Blood Moon against them and take out my Orsa because I get dominated by their Orts so hard. So yeah we don't have Shadow Spear. It, it doesn't really like wipe all that well with the rest of the deck with all your, like your one two and one one goblins and, and one three painters. <laughs> it's just <Yeah>. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not that great. But we usually go for Mox Opal or Grindstone. We have Soul Guide Lantern. We got after sideboard we got Pithing Needle. And on rare occasions, you get lotus petal. Usually, when you either don't have metalcraft or you like, already have your your Mox Opal somewhere, and that's pretty much it. Uh, something that's kind of cute that you can do is uh, what's it called? Not soul guide lantern, but um, pirate not not pirate spellbomb, nihil spellbomb, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. the black spellbomb, basically. It has the added advantage of still being live on turn one once you get it down, like Soul Guide Lantern. It has a disadvantage of not being a two-shot thing. So a lot of times I would like get Soul Guide Lantern down, take out Uro, and then I'm able to often prevent the Uro that comes after that, or at least delay it. Neil Spellbomb can't do that. Of course, Nihil Spellbomb has the upside of drawing the card and nuking the graveyard. And here's another thing. And I only became conscious of that like a couple of months ago. Nihil spellbomb is also a draw engine as opposed to soul guide lantern yeah, it's a yeah. death trigger exactly right when it goes to the yeah. graveyard you can play back black like, so if, if you keep switching your things between your graveyard and your main deck with one of the goblins Nihil spellbomb still draws your card while doing that yeah whereas soul guide lantern yeah. doesn't but overall yeah, you have to choose with soul guide lantern basically do i want to draw or do i want to exile the graveyard of course like the trade-off is you get to do it like one and a half times kind of like almost twice yeah. it's a card it i've thought play.
0: about like you know throwing into to eight cast as well because i'm like i can zach, i can reliably you, you, make that you, you, black mana
1: nah zach you got candy trail and that card is too cool <laughs> to you, you can't you can't not be playing candy trail you gotta have it you know
0: julian i have a i have a question because we're we're running we're running low on time i have a question uh for the layman bray is apprentice why like tell me
2: about this card like why why do you play it in the deck Oh, it makes a sweet i have, I have a sweet top tier token that's no. <laughs> no the thing is brayer's apprentice brayer's yeah. apprentice like it does so many things it's one of those the uh things that you get to just like accumulate your no- uh, your knowledge yeah your your advantage in the game over a couple of turns it's it's really good it it, it covers so many bases to like uh, like 80 90 degrees for example you get the top the token which is colorless so you can block dark depth tokens uh every day, all day, every day you can make so much card advantage once you get the goblins involved you basically you sack the token and then you can even like sack it to itself and you get it back for example sometimes it sacks to itself and then you get it back by sacrificing the token then you get a new token it's it's, wow. it's a really Actually, good draw yes. engine it's amazing yeah you you get so much money even if you if you don't have the goblins to go nuts with it you can still like you know eat your lotus petals eat your great furnaces uh, and get so much card advantage that way or even like at that point i guess it's more like looting filtering and so in the mid-late game, it's really good. In the early game, it's also pretty decent because like it also puts like a little bit of, of pressure on Planeswalkers. For example, I mentioned the, uh, the scenario where they get Teferi down. If they get Teferi down, there's not really a scenario where they can like minus it to get rid of, of, of your board because then Teferi's going to die because you had that guard. One minor thing, and that's really not factoring into putting into the deck, but a lot of opponents miss that and they pay for it dearly. It has a second ability as my camera cuts out, so I guess that's also... <laughs> Um, it has a second it, it, ability. It,
1: it don't want don't want don't want share this information.
2: yeah, yeah, see, and that's the podcast so <laughs> <No>, the <laughs> second ability is you can sacrifice an artifact to give an artifact creature plus zero plus o. Mm-hmm. And you know you have we have double strike as an deck. We actually have a little bit of double strike as an deck. We have fury and we have oh, right. dra- yeah. uh, dragon engine okay and a lot of people actually miss that and they have paid for it and it's really only cute it's not why it's there but i i like it i like it quite a lot yeah. Th-
1: that that is like I-, I did not consider that interaction ever yeah I, so that 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 is something that i would have been got 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 by in the moment of just not, not thinking like oh actually i'm not taking three here or whatever i'm taking eight you
2: know it's cool it's really cool
1: well i think i i have to go to work soon so i,
0: I i've got to get going but uh julian it's been a blast having having you on the show thanks
2: so much for coming thanks for inviting me guys i'm, I'm looking forward to listening to this yeah this is
0: gonna, yeah, be, this is gonna be fun um yeah uh we'll put all your links below uh obviously you're the you're one of the hosts of the everyday eternal podcast is there anywhere else people should look to find you
2: uh check it out on everyday eternal.com check me out on it's tune 23 on x and instagram actually on instagram it's a different one but if you, you will f- figure it out and yeah that's that's the best way to get in contact and with that by the way if you want to go to kenya if you want to book a safari if you want to have a great time if you want to go i don't know water skiing diving kite surfing climbing mount kenya mount kilimanjaro you hit me up on, I guess, the same socials, and we'll make it work for you.
0: Whoa, that sounds awesome. Yeah. That's the I whole actually, thing I didn't actually, even delve into, man. We, yeah, yeah. We, we'll do it <laughs> the next
2: time. We'll do it next yeah. time. I, I've actually sold quite a fair amount of safaris to, to listeners and, and like people who watch me. By the way, on twitch.tv slash, it's Julian. Dude, I, I really need to standardize my socials. Maybe maybe I'm actually going to do that rebrand to Mark my Lord 3000. I don't know. It, it sounds kind of... There you go. Cool.
1: And for, for anybody, uh, Everyday Eternal just started season two of uh their podcast so jump on those guys are experts and uh one of my favorite listens uh outside of uh my own voice thank you
0: so much (laughs) have a good one everybody thanks so much for watching